Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This call is being recorded. Ah, are the Steelers still an NFL team? Has the world come to an end? Questions and more answered on your SteelerFury.com podcast. I'm your host, Bradshaw Ben. Uh, also uh, known as Will Masson as a guy with the, whose head hurts after thinking about the last few weeks. Um, but anyway, uh, with me to uh, assuage my pain is my cohort uh, and the venerable one, curmudgeon, the curmudgeonly FC. How are you, sir? Um, I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> Not too thrilled with my, the... Pittsburgh Steelers football team, but uh, I let it go at some point. So, yeah, um, it, it it does it does it not remind you a little of the uh, the Ron Earhart era? Kind of with the uh, I I just have no idea what the Steelers thought process on offense was for three quarters against uh, Baltimore. Um, that makes about so two million play, of us. Play, <laughs> right, from the play calling play aspect, aspect, yeah. yeah. Uh, Miami, Miami, a little bit of Ray Sherman, Ron Earhart. Yeah, I mean, the head coach, you know, says that they, they wanted to play it, uh, to you know, kind of to protect Ben and try to stay engaged in the running game and blah, 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 blah not too worried about the way the game was going because they felt that they, you know, didn't have to score too many points, et cetera, et cetera, which, you know, we can debate that all. I mean, we don't even have to debate that. I think we can all agree that that seems like sort of an asinine strategy. But beyond the strategic part of that, though, if you're the offensive coordinator, you still have to be engaged to call plays to get that strategy to work. I don't know. It just seems like a, just a hairy mess. Like, I, I don't really – I don't understand either uh, the idea of trying to, you know, play conservatively against a poor opponent or to you know, do what we did to try to execute that plan. They, they both seem like, you know, we have met the enemy and it is us. Yeah, um, we were attempting to run the ball on punt block, basically at times. You know, uh, Baltimore had nine, ten men in the box. Yeah, we're still going to run the inside zone. We can get it done. Ramon Foster and David DeCastro and a backup center. Those three can manage to block four. And, you know, Venlaweva can get two and Marcus Gilbert can get two and that run play will work. That's Steeler football. And that's the way we roll in Western PA. <laughs> I have no fucking clue what, uh, what this team was doing. I mean, uh, we better not pay Antonio Brown after the year. We're, I mean, why pay him huge money if we're not going to use him? We got to protect Ben. What the fuck? I mean, I'm have not really been anti Mike Tomlin too much, but you know, with his comments, he's pushing me that way. You know, um, in today's NFL, you have to score points to win games. 
there has been 21-point fourth quarter comebacks every season since, like, 1997. And prior to that, it was, like, one of the rarest things in football. You know, for a team to be down three touchdowns in the fourth quarter and to lose, it's happened every year since 1997 in the NFL. And uh, I, I, I found that to be just humbling, you know. So you've got to score points in the NFL. And if you're not confident enough in your offensive line and Ben Roethlisberger to avoid problems, you start Landry Jones. You give Ben the, uh, another week to fully get recovered so you don't have to put out a shit game plan like that against the Dallas Cowboys this week. I, I, yeah, and of course, of course they won't do that this week against Dallas. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, I don't know. Dallas it feels like won't go in the pump block like, like Baltimore. Baltimore absolutely has zero <laughs> respect for us. Dallas isn't going to do that. I, I, it's not, that's not the way that, you know, Marinelli plays football. He's gonna, the, the, the Dallas is, you know, just uh, a swarming, consistent, play-together defense. They're, you know, they move as a unit. They're 11 men playing almost as one. That's the one that you want. People want to know why Dallas is the best team in the NFL record-wise right now. Them in New England. Dallas plays defense as one unit, and uh, they might be the best tackling team in the NFL. You know, they're smart. I think that uh, you were saying last week how you think the Sewers are going to kick the shit out of Dallas. I think it's absolutely possible. And that just tells you everything you need to know about the NFL. That this team that looks so terrible, terrible. four losses, four losses. can beat the best team in the NFL. And let's not forget, Dallas... Uh, people will want to badmouth Dallas and say, what this year? I mean, they kicked the crap out of Cincinnati. I mean, yep. they're a good football team. Okay, so, but let me, I mean, I don't even think it's worth continuing too far on the Ravens. We, we're going to get to Dallas in a second. Um, before I forget, though, I'll, I'll, I'll challenge you on two things. I, I think... Dallas's defense plays really, really well as a unit, but I don't think their defense is all that much better than Steelers' defense. I mean, I basically the difference with their defense is – How about that? I think the Steelers are a more talented de- – I think the Steelers have more talent, they have more skill, and they have more playmakers on their defense than the Dallas Cowboys do. And it's not even close. I, I, like, I like Dallas's uh, – I like the potential talent in their front seven uh, – as much as, if not more, than the Steelers. But I would say that you're right. And overall, I don't like their talent as much. But you're right. They, they play as a unit. Their results, though, are pretty similar. Like, their, their defense is not exactly dominating, but they're getting the job done right now. Uh, it's, you know, more – it's more the, you know, the run game and what they get out of it. You know, well, not just running the football. possession with, with the run game. That's what makes Dallas's yeah. defense so good is they're not on the field very much. Dallas controls the ball for 38 minutes a game. Okay, so just for a minute, hanging on to last week against the Ravens, you know, my biggest my biggest complaint with with you know we we want to be sort of conservative on offense, but we we don't couple that with any kind of creativity at all. I mean, I I just that was a part of the game and game plan that really troubled me was. It's one thing to say you're going to try to, you know, maintain a really healthy balance running the football because you're easing, you know, Ben back in after injury and and so on. 
but you know where's the creativity in that you know there didn't seem to be any kind of like we were trying you just don't see any misdirection uh change in in the formation scenery uh you know changing the the you know you talk about changing the uh, release uh, the where the quarterback ends up, like right. catching the target sure. defenders. Run, it applies to run game, too. Yeah, I think the Steelers run three offensive run plays. We, play, we run inside zone, we run outside zone, and we run a counter. I don't remember seeing too many. I mean, sure, there's the, the reverse, to you know, that we've run that we had success with with Hayward Bay, and we've run to semi-coats. But, no, we, there's, our, our run game is pretty vanilla. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have DJ, you know, uh, David Johnson split out wide on a, on a third down play, he could, you, know, you bring these extra tight ends in the game, and then you split him out wide, it doesn't do anything for you if you then motion him back in to the H-back position and run the football. In other words, there's no subterfuge to that. <laughs> you know, sure. it's, it's one thing if you, Especially if you it's set him lead. out wide. <laughs> right. And you're and you're running right behind where DJ Johnson motions to. It's just right. pretty much a straight dive or a, a straight lead. You know, you, you get more out of uh, bringing him in. You get more out of bringing him in, spreading him out wide, and then running the football than you do most. You know, splitting him out wide and bringing him back in. You might as well not have had him out wide. Right. I don't know. I just like it's the kind of thing I watched a buff. Did you did you see Monday night? I did. Monday night football. Uh, first of all a couple of the worst officiating mistakes you'll ever see in your life at the end of the first half. And we'll, they uh, maybe we'll get to that. To work another game. They shouldn't be allowed to work <laughs> another game. I, I, just that's horrible. Miserable. That, 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 that's, that's horrible. Uh, let me put it this way. If I was the referee and on replay, if I would have caught a replay out of the corner of my eye, I would eject it. Sure. Yeah. Well, you know what they do. Whistle, they used to do with injury. When there wasn't replay with like that few years, the few years that went by in the NFL between the first replay exper- experiment and when they put it back in, they would huddle up and one of the guys would watch the replays on the big screen in the stadium sure. and then they would figure out what to do. And it was a, a situation that called for that if ever there was one. But I don't know how you can miss the guy hitting the, the, the kicker. I mean, that's, you know, that's like it's right in front of two officials. Hard to miss. Hard to miss. Uh, but it wasn't then, that one. That was a what they did with the kicking ball. You know, they, they, they immediately started the clock before they had the non-kicking ball in, and that's the umpire's job. That's the first thing. He gets with, you know, the, the coach or the, the headlines and gets with the coach, and they say, hey, you know, we're going to go with a down, meaning, you know, we're going to – because you can't, you know, use the kicking ball for a, for that the spike that they went for to, to, stop, the, to stop the clock or to be able to bring the kicker back in. So right. that's so why you that's also had five-yard five delay, delay of game. Yeah, but, I, you know, the, there were several mystifying things about that. Here's what I couldn't figure out. Why they didn't bring the quarterback back in the game. See, I think that's the reason that they didn't bring the quarterback back in the game is because they wanted to use the kicking ball. And so, therefore, even though they were spiking it, I think they were allowed to use the kicking ball. It wasn't that. It was the – Play, they brought players in and off, in and off the field, and, and because of the changing personnel, they had to stand over the football until the defense had a chance to adjust. But but it's one thing to do that; it's another thing to 
hold it all the way for 40 seconds and then let them have the ball back. What they almost always do in the NFL is reset the – put 25 seconds back on the play clock at some point. Right. But right. they, they didn't do that aspect. Back, of it. Back with a little push. With a little push. And actually, you, you saying that just now about the kicking ball just made me realize why the, the uh, up back in, on special teams uh, took the snap and, and spiked the football. Because if they had brought the quarterback in, they would have had to switch balls and they were afraid it would take too much time. Like that actually, for the first time, I understand that aspect of it. But either way, you know, like the clock wasn't running. Like the, play, the regular game clock wasn't running. There's just, you know, almost no reason – not to reset the play clock while you sort it all out. So that just two we had a great, hideous we had a just 30, thirty seconds beforehand. Before. Yep, completely agree. Anyway, um, I, I don't want to let off this. You know, not just the mentality that we approach the game with. You can blame the head coach for that, but I mean, I I, I can't remember our offense being any more stale and predictable than it is right now. I mean, have we just gotten bad, stale? Bad. Yeah, it has. And the shameful thing, um, the defense actually played their hearts out. Bad play to Mike Wallace. He got a bad angle. Then you have Mike Mitchell. Get out, run. It happens. Mike Wallace is a phenomenal talent still. He's still a 4-3 guy. happens. Other than that, I got no complaints about my defense. You know? Um the yep. pump block, you know, Sean Davis, what are you doing? You know, you scream at Danny Smith about that. And other than that, our defense, I thought, played their hearts out more phenomenal. I was very proud of my defense. Ryan Shazier played his second-best game as a pro, in my opinion, being the Cincinnati Bengals uh, playoff game. Uh, James Harrison was a force. Cameron Hayward, Stephen Tewitt were forces. Justin Hargrave showed me improvements that I've been waiting for all year in the run game. I mean, Marshall Yanda is no joke in the run game. He played a, you know, a good game. There was positive things to take out of the Ravens game that a lot of people aren't going to because of, you know, the poor players, you know, by the offense. Yeah. Just Todd Haley being terrible and Danny Smith with that. As the special teams were a problem for the Steelers. You know, um, I'm not even going to get into the to the Chris Boswell because. You know, anybody that's went to hammer on Boswell and say, you know, what the fuck are you doing? That's never going to work. He did it twice in college and it worked. You know, there's yeah, somebody that's going to say that. You yeah. know? That, yeah, yeah, that didn't bother me so much. Uh, by the way, it just didn't bother me one bit. I mean, it did bother me. I was like, of all times to do that, you know, this maybe try to do something a little bit more because I bet you, regardless if they admit it or not, I'd say 40% of the Sealer fan base turn that game off after we got stopped in the red zone initially and uh when it was 21-7 and you know probably you know if they got caught and then seen it was 21-14 and we we're on size kicking to get the ball back you know they would have been shocked yep i mean uh first of all just just to, one thing to clean up i i didn't think the special teams play was sean davis's fault i thought it was robert golden's fault um that the, the steelers run that you know, the guys on the on the wing there, they run them off the line of scrimmage normally, but Golden has to come over and pick up that guy, and he committed immediately to protecting in the middle. Just you know, he's the one making the protection call. He's the one letting uh, Sean Davis know whether to release or to stay in, and therefore he somehow both gave him the the nod to release and didn't pick up the guy. I'm willing to mm-hmm. bet it was actually a mistake. Um, but you know, either way, it's a you know. 
it's one of those grievous mistakes you just can't make in a game where your offense is dead. Um, also, the penalties, you know, let's talk about first downs. Winning first down, right? Once again, if you're going to have a conservative strategy and you're going to play kind of, you know, uh, close to the vest on offense, then you have to have a winning strategy on first down. Our first downs in the first two-thirds of the football game, to, you know, till it was 21 nothing. our first downs – basically consisted of the first one was put start with three tight ends in the game and then go empty set. Uh, nobody got open. Shocking. Then a, a series of, of uh, comical first and second down uh, strategies, you know, with either a run into a stack box for minimal, minimal gain followed by, uh, you know, a second down run also for minimal gain. That was one scenario that happened at least five times in the game. Then throw on first down underneath to wide open receivers who dropped the football. <laughs> and then run into a stack box on second down and then run on third down. That was a couple, of, a couple of other sequences that we had. Then it was actually, you know, make a good play and get a first down and immediately get a penalty. Um, and then to, to top it all off, Run the first, run the ball into an incredibly stacked box. Have the r- ball carrier get tackled for a loss, and as he's getting tackled for a loss, commit a face mask penalty <laughs> that puts you in first and you know eight uh, twenty eight or whatever. It's like, you know, I, I don't know many. I don't know how many more ways you can fail on first down. But if you don't have any kind of degree of success on first down, I don't care what your game plan is or what the style is. You know, it's it's not going to work. So. Some of those are mistakes that, you know, that can, that is something that, um, you know, everybody has to be accountable for both coaches and players and you can blame it however you want. But once you repeated that process like six or seven times in a row, you know, don't you have to get a little bit creative of what to do on first down? Uh, yeah. Um, Todd Haley never played organized football. I'm not looking to attack him. All sports, every sport, even and since he's a golfer, he should know this. There's a rhythm. There's a rhythm to your golf swing. There's a rhythm to playing quarterback. There's a rhythm to playing left tackle. There's a rhythm to playing center, cornerback. All sports are about a rhythm. And Ben was rusty. He was a little bit off. So what you do is you force him to get into rhythm. And the way you do that is bubble screen, A, B. As funny as that sounds, we, we've seen so many of them in the past. But a quick little completion like that, quick curl to, to you know, Jesse James, you know, quick slant to A.B., just a hitch to A.B., just a quick couple quick, easy throws. Get him in the rhythm. Get him in the flow. You, maybe he complex, completes the first, you know, uh, screened A.B., you only get four or five yards, but you got second and five. Now you can go with your inside zone, or maybe you're feeling a little bit froggy, and you're going to fake the inside zone, and you're going to maybe try to throw the ball to Timmy uh, Coates vertically downfield, and maybe you don't complete it. But at this point, defense coordinator is saying, fuck me. All right, how many times are they going to throw the ball? You know, Roethlisberger, he eh, looked pretty good to A.B., and that ball to Coates should be committed. We better, you know, pull that eighth guy out of the box. And then the run game opens up a little bit. But what Todd Haley did is set up the team to fail, 
inside zone, inside zone, inside zone. Tough reads, tough reads, you know. And no matter, I don't care who the quarterback is, third and 14 is on a winning down in the NFL. Teams are going to put out six and seven defensive backs. They're going to double. And if your quarterback can't get the first down with his legs, chances are you're not getting the first down in today's NFL. It's, it's just not happening. Todd Haley set the Steelers and Ben Roethlisberger up to fail with his play calling and with his game plan. Whenever you turtle and whenever you limit yourself, whenever you try to protect someone in the long run, and especially in team sports, you fuck them. And that's what Todd Haley did. He set the Steelers up to fail. Mike Tomlin, with what he said in his press conference, set the Steelers up to fail. And it was like the Steelers were starting that game down 10 points just by what they allowed and what not only did they allow, but what they sent into motion with that offensive game plan. If, if that's your, your game plan, Ben Roethlisberger's career path would have been somewhat similar to that of Neil O'Donnell and Cordell Stewart. Luckily, yeah. you know, I, 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 Bruce Arians, I have plenty of problems with him. He noticed, and he said no. This isn't the way that the, that this team's going to work. It's, this isn't going to work for this guy. And, you know, that might have been a game plan that you could have won with with a fucking limited, you know, soft, cuckold quarterback. That's a, that's a game plan you win with Kurt Warner, maybe. You know, just a, a pussy is the best way of putting it. That's not how you're going to win with Ben. Ben's not that type of guy. Ben, ben needs to feel the rush. And what that game plan was, was you protected him so much that you put him in handcuffs. Yeah, and I mean, you, you could have stopped that. Everything needs a rhythm. Players need a rhythm. And every, every sport, people need to be in rhythm. This is something we've talked about on the show before. Wow. If your play caller has no sense of rhythm for himself, <laughs> then, you know, like, I don't, I don't see that guy as a guy that ever is, like, feeling it. You don't, you're not ever, like, over there going, wow, right. Todd's really feeling it right now with the play calling. You know, he's, you can say he's that about Josh McDaniel from New England, who was a horrible head coach. But you could see just how he's into the game. And the, I, Fat Andy in Kansas City, you know, if you see an offensive coordinator and he looks like, you know, he just got the best pussy he ever got in his life. I hate to be vile and vulgar, but he's smiling. That guy's he's rolling. And the same thing could be said for a defensive coordinator. Even Dick LeBeau. Dick LeBeau would be, like, going batshit crazy at 71, 72 years old, joyful, you know, whenever stuff went well. You know, people said, oh, even kill Dick LeBeau. No way. That's false. He was 100% into it. You know, Lamar Woodley. I remember Lamar Woodley and James Harrison, basically LeBeau, like basically running and jumping into their arms, you know, after playoff wins. That's a 75-year-old refined gentleman, Dick LeBeau. Yeah. Well, uh, Passion to the game that I just don't get from Todd Haley. I pray somebody takes a chance and gives him a head coaching job. I want him gone. But I can't say that because I want Bruce Arians gone. So you have to say it <laughs> for me. So I don't, I'm not the guy that wants to fire every offensive coordinator. I don't want to be known as that guy. So I want him <laughs> fired, but you're going to do, do my bidding. I'll take that. I'll take that. Uh, Thank you, sir. You know, that tag, that mantra. I've been wearing that for a while, you know. Whatever. Uh, um, okay, so let's, let's move on. Um, 
like, you know, I don't know what I don't know what else to say. That was just a, you know such an embarrassing display of offense. Like, considering the talent that you have, more, Baltimore or Dallas. I was asked this question because you have that old school hate for Dallas, but that Baltimore hate so fresh. Who do you, what team do you hate more, Dallas or Baltimore? Me? Yes. Uh, but Baltimore. Although I re- I would save my real hatred for New England, but yeah. And Dallas, Dallas is, still in your Dallas top is five. I mean, I'm, you know, Dallas is an old school team to hate. I can't really hate on them too much right now because I think they play really admirable football at the moment. Like you said, they right. play as a team. You can respect them, but you can still hate them. I, I respect them, yeah. I got told I that, um, that I've been away from P- Pittsburgh too long, that I'm not a true Pittsburgher, and I'm a pussy because I don't have Dallas in my top three. <laughs> They're not in my top three NFL-hated teams, the NFL teams that I hate the most. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Thank you. Good night, Mom. <laughs> They're old school. I mean, it's like hating the Raiders. I, you know, sort of. Do I hate the Raiders? But, you know, at this point, Cincinnati, Cincinnati, New England, or, or you know, in, in Baltimore are really sure. you know, ahead of the game a little bit in this regard. But, you know, I can't even hate the, the, the Titans. If, you know, now they're not the Oilers anymore. And Jeff's right. gone, you know. So, uh, but yeah, I'm with you. You know, Dallas. Dallas comes to town. They're, you know, all 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 it'll take is a a, a little bit of um, you know glowing uh, worship praise from Buck and and uh, Aikman, and we'll we'll go right back to hating the Dallas sure. again. <laughs> I think about when's the last time that Dallas played in Pittsburgh? Do you know by any chance? I want to say. Yeah. It's- 2008 when we went to the Super Bowl, I think. Okay. I was hoping it wasn't like 1997 when Chad Scott like dumped Dion on his head and he wasn't moving and like the entire stadium was like thrilled. I was like, oh my God, Pittsburgh. <laughs> Don't do it. Yeah, I believe their last visit was the one that Shea Thompson uh, picked off Tony Romo and took it to the end zone. Ah, there That's you go. It. That is correct, sir. Yeah, that was that. That was that. Two thousand. That was two thousand eight, wasn't it? Yes, sir. Yeah, yes, sir. So this is uh, we, you know. Let's let us hope for some more of the same. Wasn't that like a legendary shootout between Ben and Roma? It was pretty good. I, I mean, remember. Also, the game where Ben. Uh, I mean, where uh, Roma couldn't understand why we were calling uh, timeouts while they were on their way to drive down to win the game. <laughs> <laughs> And they were playing Renegade and all that stuff was going on, you know? Yes. Pretty, pretty good. Um, yeah, quite a game. That was – oh, the score was only 20 to 13, but it felt like a, mm. it felt like a little bit more of a back and forth kind of a thing. The shootout I was thinking about was Green Bay and Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh. But, yes, when as soon as you said the Renegade and Tony Romo with us calling timeouts, I was like, aha. Yes, yeah. he's correct. I remember that game now. And they had only put up 13 points. To, to, you know, to that point, the game was 13-13. So uh, it was especially remarkable that, you know, that he was, uh, his mind was blown that we were calling timeouts. <laughs> anyway, uh, so uh, let, us, let us hope we have at least that much to root for. I, I, you know, I, I kind of think, you know, I, this is a good matchup for the Steelers in a way. Um, they, they tend to play up for this kind of opponent, especially at home. Um, they... You know, Dallas is not a, does not have a stifling defense. It's the kind of like you said it's a team defense that, that avoids big plays, but 
you know, in terms of as a matchup against our offense, not too bad. Their offense, you know, is is a is a tough matchup for anybody right now. But you know, they're it's not like they're uh, they're not even New England in terms of their threat of what they can do throwing a football. Uh, it's a little less sophisticated than that. You know, it's can can the Steelers stop the run? So let's start with that question: Can the Steelers maybe not stop, but at least contain? the run game of Dallas enough to force them to try to do some other things. No. <laughs> okay, great. FC, great having you. Uh, talk to you next week. <laughs> um, you, you're not going to. I mean, the reason you're not going to, it's uh, Dak Prescott's a threat to run the ball as well. I think what the Steelers have to do in the uh, – I don't think you can stop the run, but what I think you can do is eliminate them from scoring touchdowns in the red zone or in the green zone. And you force field goals and you answer with a touchdown, you know, that's going to, you know, at, at some point, Green Bay, or excuse me, Dallas is going to have to, you know, not run the ball and eat the clock, especially if, you know, they keep continue to fall behind. The, the, the key to the stopping Dallas's run game. This is Steelers offense or special teams or defense putting up touchdowns. Got to, you know, if, if, if you teams will stop running the ball whenever they get down by more than a single score. It's just, I don't care what team it is. It's, they do it. It's just the way modern football works. So I think the key is the Steelers offense being able to score points. Interesting. Well, I mean, so, because, you know, I would argue that. The Steelers run defense with assuming that Hayward and Shazier are a little healthier than they were last week. Right. I feel like that's, that's, I mean, I realize the offensive line that they're going up against is, is far from average, but I feel like that they, it's, it's, it's more of a team, you know, stopping the run is more of a team defense kind of a thing than it is necessarily overpowering players. Right. I mean, it it seems to be like something that we, what what I'm saying is, I think the Steelers can bring up a lot of third and threes and third and fours on those downs. And it's not necessarily, you know, going to be the running backs that beat you. You know, it could be Dak Prescott with a six-yard scramble and first down and let's do it again. I don't think that Dallas is going to jam the ball down our throat, six yards, seven yards, eight yards, touchdown. No, I think there's too much pride on the Steelers' defense, and I think that was showed last week. You know, the, the the big thing for the Steelers and what they do very poorly is tackle. And you have to tackle against the run. It's it's just you stop drives, you know, by tackling, making plays in space. And it's you got to rally to the ball. you got to bring three or four against Elliott. And, yeah, I think we can limit the run game. You're just not going to stop it because they have a mobile quarterback, you know, and they run reverses to Cole Beasley. They'll run a reverse to Williams. From Baylor, who's on the Terrence Williams, who's our answer to Sammy Coates, where he can run late the wind but has ball security issues. We haven't even brought up Des Bryant, who I think is done in a way. I just think the foot and the ankle problems have robbed him of so much speed where he doesn't have the Anquan Bolden aspect to his game. Maybe he'll learn it and develop it. The, the, where Des Bryant had enough speed where he didn't have to depend on 
craftiness and treachery to get open like let's say an Anquan Bolden or a Larry Fitzgerald has done a very good job of, you know, a little later in his career where he learns to get hands on and hands off and get that separation to get open. I think that's an aspect that Des Bryant's going to have to learn because he had the beautiful, pure athleticism that's been robbed of him recently. So. I'm sorry. Jason Witten is, is one of the keys. 45-year-old Jason Witten is one of the keys players for Dallas, and the Steelers are basically going to have to eliminate him. He's a decent blocker. Our outside linebackers got to beat him in the, in, 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 in the run game. And our inside backers really can't let him have a field day catching the football. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it's always, always an issue. I, I mean, I mean the, the, great, the great wall of Dallas, that offensive line, is pretty good. It is nowhere near as good as people try to make it out to be. What it is is Ezekiel Elliott, he needs to get his ass cooled off. And someone's going to have to thump him. You know, and the Steelers, one thing I'll say is um, they miss tackles, but they try to send a message. And, I mean, Lawrence Timmons or Shazier or James Harrison, some, you put a couple hits on them, you know, you let them know that this is a little bit different than the NFC East. You know, this this isn't oh. the Washington Redskins, and this isn't the Philadelphia Eagles. This isn't the Green Bay Packers. You know, they got some crazy motherfuckers here that are really trying to do damage to my life's work. And you got to put <laughs> that thought in his mind. Do you, do you think we could get some, to that end, do you think we could see some more snaps for Jordan Dangerfield or Vince Williams in this game? Jordan because Dangerfield, that to me. I believe, is going to be out with the groin. It's, a, it's going to be a loss. I don't like the way that I, I read the injury report. I don't like the way that's trending. with Because I'm a fan of Jordan Dangerfield. Vince Williams will see some downs. Absolutely. I think that what the Steelers might want to consider, and this is nothing against I'm not attacking Timmons or Shazir with this, is I would roll. I would be rolling my outside linebackers as well. I mean, Chicolo has shown me enough rushing the passer where if I get some obvious passing downs, I tell him, show me that one five five split in the 10 because your long speed sucks, but I think that you can maybe, you know, cause some problems for Doug Free coming off the edge when we do force him into passing situations. You know, James Harrison, people are going to really not like this. He's the best out linebacker option that we have on our team. And this age thing, I feel that the way he still lifts and works out and the way he looks and performs on the field, I let him decide how many downs he wants to play because he's the best that we have, and it's not close. And he's still one of the best in the game at taking the edge, rushing the passer, and playing the run at the point of attack. I, I told James Harrison this week, I'm Bud, you know, you let us know. You tap out when you want to come off the field because we really need you. This could be a James Harrison type of game because you're not, you are not going to run at him at the point of attack blocking with a tight end. I'm telling you that right now. You're not yeah. going to do it. Baltimore tried to do it a couple of times, and Terrence West, like, you seen his soul leave his body as he went limp and dead. And this was like he pulled the parachute and was like, no, 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 no. And 
Terrence West really didn't see too many more carries after that because Jim Harbaugh was like, you stick it up in there. And <laughs> Terrence West was like, no. <laughs> that was <laughs> no, not going to be you. pretty. That was a car wreck that we were avoiding. Well, uh, you haven't even mentioned the most impressive thing that James Harrison did on Sunday to me, which was he Cover. he took a wide receiver one-on-one in coverage to the you know on a crossing route and then the wide receiver turned it up the field and nfl wide receiver could not outrun james harrison up the sideline that's ridiculous he's the best i think that he i think he might be one of the better outside linebackers show in the nfl i watch a lot of nfl football and i watch a lot of guys and trust me i love what von miller does rushing the passer wow he's great at it and i love watching shane ray rush the passer he's great at it those guys don't want to play their run, you know? It's it, it, Melvin Ingram is probably the closest, your boy, from is probably the closest prospect to being like James Harrison. He can't bend like Harrison, and he can't cover it like him. I can't believe that we're sitting here, you know, week 10 of the NFL football season, talking about a 38-year-old outside linebacker. But this is our, you know, Clay Matthews senior type of player, guy that played 19, 20 years in the NFL and played at a high level. James Harrison is a freak. And I think this is the type of game where you literally let him tap out. You don't limit his snaps. And I think that might be, you know, if, 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 he's, if he can do it and, he, and his body feels right, this is the perfect time of year to, you know, say, hey, James, you take the position and then, you know, you work moats and you work in Bud Dupree and Chickalow. You know, I like the idea of waving fresh players. Our three, if we, if we can just be running healthy, quality players in, because the today's defense offenses substitute so much, where you can keep those guys fresh. Because I don't think that Vince Williams is that much inferior to Lawrence Timmons, and I don't think Ryan Shazier is too much superior in certain aspects of the game to Vince Williams or or Lawrence Timmons. You know, I think that, you know, in certain things, I think Vince Williams is a better player than Ryan Shazier at this point, you know? And I think that Ryan Shazier is just way better, you know, playing in space and speed than Vince Williams was. But, you know, he's also a lot better than Lawrence Timmons at that. And Lawrence Timmons can replace at this point. I can't believe it, but the light's gone on for him. I wish it would have happened eight years ago. If you could put the mind of Lawrence Timmons football now in that body back then, he would have been a special, special player. But Timmons, you know, and Timmons got a little nasty to him where he wants to put the hot sauce on the receiver yeah. or the back of the tight end, and that's needed. It's it's not a it's not a pretty game. Yeah, that that, that does tend to be the kind of uh, not easy to see on the surface effect that players can have in a game, you know, beyond just tackling or how many yards they get or whatever. There is There is a little bit of that to it for sure. Uh, maybe more more to it than you would think as an outside observer trying to analyze what's going on and so on and so forth. Sure. But um, um, so the uh, you know for me you know watching what the the Patriots or excuse me what Dallas does it, it reminds me a little bit of the of the Patriots offense. That's where I was starting to go with it. In that you know they kind of lull you to sleep with you know some similar stuff, and then they throw you a, a curve in the middle of that that plays off of what they had been doing earlier. And it's like, you're, you're trying to stop the water from dripping out the faucet. And then after, you know, an hour of that uh, struggling with trying to get the drip stopped, 
then they hit you with the hope fire hose, you know, uh, how do, how do you, how do the Steelers game plan on defense to be aware enough and working hard enough, you know, uh, focusing on stopping the run, but without giving up, uh, you know, pass over the top throws to Witten, uh, you know, to me, it's like the run game and Cole Beasley, you, you give them that stuff in a certain way. Uh, you try not to get killed by it, but you, but you let them have the drips of that and try to stop them from bigger plays. I, you know, do you, do you even try to defend every blade of grass? That seems like a, a losing strategy against Dallas. Against Dallas, I, uh, you have to run blitz. You're going to have to, at some point, you know, you're, you're running a three, four and Dallas, We'll get a 210 tight end heavy with Jason Witten and Jeff Swain. So you basically have two 270-pound tight ends out there. So I basically – I shoot my outside linebackers against every two tight end formation. And uh, I'm bringing an inside linebacker. I'm going to put it this way. I'm making Dak Prescott make fast reads. He's going to be making quick reads. He's not going to be sitting back there patting the ball. As good as Dallas is, you know, run blocking. Doug Free, Zach Martin, Travis Frederick, and Leo Collins all have issues in the in pass blocking, especially. Continue. I'm sorry. Well, Collins is out, just for the record. He got hurt a few weeks ago, and he's but on injury reserve. Ronald Leary actually got a concussion, and Collins came back in and replaced him. Really? I'm I thought nine. Collins was on injury reserve. Maybe it was somebody there? else. So I think someone else came in and replaced him. Pretty sure. Okay. Maybe um, it was Joe Looney, but I, it, they, I, I just, I, because I actually watched the game and I seen and I, and I could have swore, you, you may be a hundred percent correct, sir. You are right. Okay, He's out six to ten weeks. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah, exactly. They're not sure if he, if either. Uh, he's going to come back or Charles Tapper, which one of them is going to be their designated to return. They haven't even decided yet, I guess. Okay. So I guess that might've been Joe Looney that came in for him from, uh, I believe Wake Forest. Yeah, it was Joe Looney. Anybody that, if you go look, Joe Looney and Leo Collins look an awful lot alike. So you can understand why I made the mistake. Regardless, um, they're, they're a great run blocking team, but Doug Free got hit at right tackle for a reason. And Zach Martin's a good, I'll put it this way. Zach Martin reminds me a lot of David DeCastro in a lot of ways. So you can take take that with a grain of salt. I mean, David DeCastro has, I believe, given up more pressures than any interior starter in the NFL this year. You may not want to take that one to the bank. It may, he may be only top five now, but, you know, regardless, you know, not great pass blocking. And, you know, um, Tyron Smith got a bad back. There's, there's reports that say that he may be very highly questionable this week against the Steelers. Yeah, I saw that so. as well. Yeah, I saw that as well. So that's a good. That's not a good week to meet James Harris for sure. No. <laughs> it's not even a good. It's not even a good week to see. Uh, you know, uh, Jarvis Jones playing at at least a high level for Jarvis Jones the past couple of weeks. I mean, you know, I, I at a high level period. He's never going to be a pass rusher, but he does other things very well. Yeah, I mean, you know, I don't. Know. I, I'm not sure the He's standard not be the is guy pretty- that you won a game because of. But he can help you from not lo- the, not lose some games. I, I'm 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 going to continue to 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 be able to support Jarvis Jones because of the high effort that he gives. And I didn't I whenever we drafted him in the first round, I said it was a mistake. Let's I I watched him play a ton of downs at Georgia. I knew that he was going to not be an NFL pass rusher. 
but he does other things very well. Hey, by the way, speaking of pass rushers, and we just I just mentioned uh, Charles Tapper, who was a guy I liked coming out of the draft as a pass rusher. He's on the injury reserve with a PARS defect in his lumbar spine. Want to offer any insight on that one? Uh, it doesn't sound good. That's like one Apparently of the things a, that I'm... It's a birth defect, right? I mean, it's something that... Right. Uh, yeah. It's like having a weakness in your in your vertebrae in your lumbar spine, and apparently the only treatment is either rest or pain pain medication to uh, make it not hurt. But uh, that doesn't that definitely does not sound like something, and it's it's not even something that they detected in the physicals at the combine, which is crazy. I mean, to, 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 it's it's hard to you're gonna have to go with a specialized MRI and X-ray to be able to do that with a high amount of contrast. It's something that should heal over time, but you know, it's probably gonna take nine, 10 months to completely heal. Cause everything back there is just, it's not like it's like the femur, you know, where it's your you know, largest bone and most weight bearing, you know, it's the, the, the bones back there are a little bit more, uh, less dense and more fragile than you know, weight-bearing bones that you have in your body with higher amounts of calcium. Um, I like Charles Sapper, too, coming out of college. What I was wondering, my my issue for him for the Steelers was where do we play him at? You know, do you have him dump weight and play outside linebacker, or do you just keep him the same and just use him as, you know, a specialized pass rusher? Yeah, well, either way, it's like a, he, to me, is like one of those guys that uh, he's a, a guy that offers you a chance to play 3-4 or 4-3, you know, or be your, a rusher and, uh, you know, a hand down rusher on passing downs or whatever in a nickel. So that, you know, that's what I liked about him in a way was that he wasn't easy to pigeonhole. Um, I find that those guys are in demand right now in the NFL. So at any rate. I like to see the uh, sewer show less 4-3 looks and maybe a few more like 4-6 looks like bear looks. But that'll be another show for another day. <laughs> I'm with I you. I think they Right. I want them to be pre- – if you're going to pr- be a pressure defense and you're going to show pressure looks, you know, be a pressure team. Show pressure looks. Fill all the gaps. L- l- let's make those offensive linemen make the right, right decision. You can bail out of it, you know. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, especially giving them the look. that it causes, It's going to cause a whole lot of consternation on the other side, that's for sure. Um, well, all right, let's let's uh, let's uh, – I don't know. Let's – for a We've second. attacked Dallas very, very. Uh, I think that that the Baltimore game was so disgusting to the two of us that we have basically tried to erase the. the and <laughs> it's not. I'll put it this way: the one thing that I do like is how quiet it has been on the Steelers front from Steelers players. After Monday, you had the you know where you had the stuff from Sunday and Monday immediately come out. And you really haven't heard too much else. I think that there might be like a storm a coming from the Steelers this week, and it, it's we are far and away the most inconsistent team in the NFL. I mean, in our losses, I believe we average right around 11 points. In our wins, I believe we average right around 30 points. You know, and the same thing defensively. I mean, for the Steelers. This week, it's not going to be measured by snaps or, or sacks or 
I think that you, you will more register the Steelers' defensive success this week on amount of plays on the field and touchdowns allowed. Now, if they spend a ton of time on the field, but they're giving up field goals, and, you know, in, in the long run, you know, four field goals is beat by two touchdowns. So yeah. if we give up four field goals but and we answer with two touchdowns offensively, that's a that's a win for the Steelers. We win 14-12, fuck you. Everybody's happy again, you know, because I'm not going to be shocked when the Cleveland Browns beat the Baltimore Ravens tonight. That's I know but people are saying, Dom, you're on the crack. No, I'm actually on the pot, and it's going to probably happen because the NFL is batshit crazy this year. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I don't think that that is uh, – I don't think that – the, the Browns winning a couple of games against division rivals is all that unlikely before the season is over. That's generally been their MO. They, you know, they play it like it's their Super Bowl. So especially on a short week coming off the Steeler game where they didn't really do much uh, to win the game other than the special teams play, you know, in one, in one big play on offense, that's sort of a fluke. So yeah, I could, I could easily see that. You know, if you take away that Mike Wallace play they're their offense did nothing in that game against the Steelers. No, really. I mean, the Steelers' defense played very well. I mean, yeah. and, you know, there was flashes of brilliance from guys that really need to flash some brilliance. Artie Burns mm-hmm. is going to be remembered for two things in that game. He's going to be remembered for his first career interception. He's going to be remembered for getting shook by Mike Wallace, which is fair enough. What's going to go probably unspoken about is – the three other interceptions that Artie Burns almost had, two of them being just unbelievably smart, advanced, you know, understanding of the defense, coming off of a coverage, cutting underneath a ball, which not many corners that wore black and gold would have even come close to getting. Troy Palomalo, Rod Woods, and Mel Blunt, and maybe lucky-ass DJ Johnson for any old-school Steeler fans that remember him. He had unbelievably horrible ability at times, but he would make three or four interceptions a year that would just make you say, wow, you know, just jumping routes and being smart. Artie Burns showed those things. He also showed me that he wants to come up and be aggressive tackling. You know, he might not be – he's 188 pounds. He might have to grow into that body a little bit more to be able to play big boy football, but he's willing. So if if you got willing and you got that type of speed and you're growing mentally – that, that's a great sign for the Steelers' defense. That's a first-round pick. It looks like, you know, if you, if you tell me we've got a corner, he's got good speed, he looks like he wants to break on the ball, he has some aggression to him, and he wants to become a better tackler, that's – he was in mid-20s pick. That's what you hope to get. You know, would I rather have Marcus Peters at this point? Yeah, but I think everybody that was a Steelers fan what? wasn't available. Yeah, I mean, a lot um, of pauses that actually could be taken out of that Baltimore Ravens game. Is my point. You know, Stephen Tuitt was a stud. Cameron Hayward, you know, came and he played hurt and he played hard. James Harrison, Ryan Shazier, Lawrence Timmons was good. Basically, the offense should look at the defense and just be like, "We're sorry." Generally, we're the ones carrying your sorry asses. We we failed to get it done, and I believe that is is more of a reflection of Todd Haley and Mike Tomlin. And actually, it's a reflection of Mike Tomlin because he decided that he was going to be the tough guy that was going to take all the burden because I don't believe for one fucking minute that Mike Tomlin really, that was his game plan. I think that he, you know, allowed Todd Haley to do his thing, and that's what 
the reason I say that is Mike Tomlin is aggressive. He's aggressive with the onside kicks. He wants even the blitz. He wants the blitz out of the Tampa, you know, out of the zone, you know, out of the cover two. He wanted to come with blitz packages. He, you know, with the naked onside kicks, going for two point, you know, conversions. That is an aggressive guy. That game plan offensively was that of a non-aggressive a guy. That's, that was a cuckold game plan. It's the best way for me to put it. That was like, you know, so this. That was beyond anything Bill Cower would Cower football ever put out there. The difference was was Bill Cowher's putting out a Hall of Fame defense. Yeah, it's one of those things you do if you if you feel like you have a Hall of Fame defense, I guess. Um, there is no anyway, Hall of Fame uh, defense in today's NFL, regardless no. of what some people. There is no Hall of Fame offensive lines, despite what some people want to claim. Yeah, well, the. Um, you know, uh, offensively, we didn't really touch too much on this. The Steelers' offense against Dallas's defense. Um, you know, although although they're playing good team defense, how do you break down what they want to try to do? Especially this this whole second receiver shuffle. Hit the nail on the head. Eli Rogers, Marcus Wheaton, whoever it is, our second wide receiver got to be able to make plays. Our third wide receiver got to be able to make plays. I cannot believe how bad our wide receiver play has become. And, you know, so AB is AB. I mean, you know, he's 5'10", 180 pounds. He isn't going to go up and win balls that, you know, the bigger, more physical, modern wide receivers are going to win. I hate to say this. New Year's Odell Beckham Jr. with the 44-inch vertical leap. He's 5'10". At the end of the day, 5'10 guys, you know, can can't do what a six foot what Martavius Bryant could do, or even a Terrell Owens can do, or now Sean Jeffrey can do. You know where you can physically box people out and make plays. With, you know with your size and your and your body. You know Antonio Brown has to be thrown free. He has to use his quickness. He needs to be able to use space. If teams don't have to respect our second receiver, they don't. That means less space for Antonio Brown because more defenders to cover him. You know, there was times where Antonio Brown was triple and quadruple covered, and the Steelers didn't even look at secondary targets. And that's not necessarily Ben, because you have Cody, Cody, you know, Kobe Hamilton running a hitch, you know, on third and 11. He's running a three-yard route. You have the, you know, secondary route, Eli Rogers, being run at six yards. You know, you're basically forcing the ball to Antonio Brown in the triple coverage, and it's not, you have no chance of success at that. So maybe it's the play design and the play calling by Haley, but you got to open it up. You got to give Vellin a wave of the chance to, you know, let him get beat once before you decide that, you know, we're, we're you know, we're going to keep and max protect and keep, you know, and run three man routes. Give your offensive line a chance to have success or failure. They may surprise you. And they may come out and play well, and you might be able to have four, God forbid, five guys actually in the routes that aren't a three step drop. If the Steelers go empty, this is, this is the only thing I want you to do. As soon as the Steelers go empty, and I don't care if it's three tight ends, I don't care if it's five wide receivers, watch the coverage. You will never see anything more than cover two. They have absolutely no fear of the Steelers' defense because they know it's going to be a three, three or five-step drop out of the empty formation. You can't run a vertical rod out of that. Yeah, so it's, all, it's not only – it's what the, you know, the Patriots were doing. They, they run they, – they had everybody playing – underneath right. and Robert. Yeah. And, and dared you, 
to find an empty spot. And it's like instead instead of even trying to find dead spaces in the offense, we're still trying to hit guys underneath the coverage and let them run for the first down. It's like, you know, you 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 can't catch and run against a zone defense where they've loaded up the short zones. You, you just it doesn't work. Never gonna. You got to combine like the the Chan Gailey, who I love, <laughs> I still do. He, he, I think he's out of football finally. But he, out of five wide receivers, he basically had like three vertical routes and two crossing patterns, and it took like five and a half seconds to get off. And Cordell Stewart and Neil O'Donnell got killed. But whenever it worked, baby, oh, it worked. And you got to mix that with, you know, the three-step drops. Don't get me wrong. I want to get the ball out of Ben's hands, but I don't want to get the ball out of Ben's hands every single drive and every single play. you got to let the guy have the opportunity to be the $100 million quarterback you signed him to be. Especially when – He's not Matt Schaub. He's Ben Roethlisberger. You know, it's one thing if your quarterback is really, that's what he does well is dump it off underneath. But Ben's game, the thing that he was, he had a a relative advantage over every other NFL quarterback that you're ever going to see was his ability to hang in there and throw the intermediate ball with, you know, effect against everyone to the to an extent that no one had, had ever done in the NFL before he came in. I mean, that's that's how successful he was at it. Um, and, and then we just sort of like, we swung the pendulum so far now to risk aversion, throw underneath, catch and run that you've taken away one of the things that made that quarterback who he is. And it's not like he's, you know, it's not like he's really getting hit all that much less because he's still desperately trying to make a play on third down, but he, you know, he can't, he, he still, he still can't, you know, have the opportunity to make plays in the intermediate range. If guys don't run there, if that's not where the routes go, if that's not how the plays are drawn up. You, know, you can't just stay in the huddle, you know, fuck the play call, just run a dig and I'll hit you. You know, It doesn't really work. Sooner or later, I mean, I put it this way, against Baltimore, I bet you there was times where he's tempted where he was like, fuck that. <laughs> you know, like, uh, go, go, run, you know, 12 yard out and you run a deep comeback and I'll find one of you. Todd Haley probably would have, like, tried to yank him from the game. I I the I thought that the offensive game plan against Baltimore was probably the worst I've seen this season from the Steelers, and that's actually saying something considering the Philadelphia Eagles game was awful bad. Yeah, can can we, you know, where where do we attack this team? They're pretty good against the run right now, Dallas. Our our run game really needs to get back on track a little bit and get Le'Veon Bell involved again. Do we actually got to show balance? But part of showing balance is backing teams out. And I don't think I don't think Dallas is definitely not going to be crowned the line of scrimmage the way that Baltimore was. Baltimore challenges the Steelers' offense more than any team in the NFL does. I mean, they literally were up in pump block. And anybody thinks I'm crazy, you can go back and watch highlights of that game. And you go watch pump block, that usually means 9 or 10 minutes in the box. And you can see third down and 11 with 9 or 10 minutes in the box. And I'm not saying 9 and 10 came every time, but 5 or 6 did. And there's a lot of time that this 5 and even 6 got picked up. But routes, the route combinations, did not allow for Ben Roethlisberger to have success because we decided to protect him. I feel yep. that the Steelers, every single pass play should have at least one vertical route. I don't care if it's Jesse James, 
Xavier Grimble, Ladarius Green, Antonio Brown, Marcus fucking Wheaton. If they have a tackle eligible with a tackle, they need to back teams out of the zone. Because Le'Veon Bell is a really good back, and he can make people miss, and he can make people look silly at the second level, but he got to be able to get to the second level. And I and I would say I would argue that in, in, you know running a route having somebody always in the intermediate is more of a demand that I'd make because it seems like we often have a guy running deep. We just have we don't really have anybody attacking the intermediate part of the the uh, you know defense, especially in the middle of the field. That's that's the you know that's the thing. That's where they want to get the ball to Le'Veon Bell out of like on wheel routes. They want to they want to clear it out and allow Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell to get the ball in space and attack the middle of the field. The one reason that I like Marcus Wheaton is he's the one guy that would get scrambled catching the ball across the middle of the field. And we don't have tight ends that can even get there right now. We, you know, like, uh, thank God, like someday we might see Ladarius Green in the game because we don't seem to have anybody who's capable of attacking the seam or they don't only try. Like that, this is, I'll you know, put it this way. We came out and showed, we showed two tight ends every fucking game when we run the ball. If Ladarius Green's healthy, I have both him and Jesse James in the game. I have AB basically run uh, a hitch. I have both them run vertical, and I go play action pass. Let's see if their backup safety makes the correct read or if he comes up and attacks the line of scrimmage and kills Le'Veon Bell. It's a lot harder to double and triple team Antonio Brown if you've got somebody in the seam that can get 15 Absolutely. yards downfield. It's impossible to do. Yeah. You I mean, can't even roll I mean, that safety because the safety that you're rolling over the top is the one that's covering the, you know, the deep half. Yep. Okay. I'm sorry. That's one of why Julian Edelman and and Danny and Danny Amendola had so much success over the last couple of years with that Rob Gronkowski guy at tight end. Yeah, you wonder. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder, right? Why did? Yeah, there's always there's always something going on that you know enables guys like that. that it's like it's not just you know why can't we stop Julian Edelman because we're trying to stop Gronkowski from killing us. That's mm-hmm. what I was saying about you know, the dripping water, you're like, you're trying to, you're trying to keep the drips from Edelman from adding up and then they hit you right. with the fire hose. Yeah. And here comes James Wade out the backside the other way. Oh, we rolled the safety the wrong way. 60 yard touchdown. Well, I, I never even, I never even got to what my point was going to be about B- Buffalo on Monday night. Cause we were talking about the officiating, but it's the, you know, it's the fact that they, they used every conceivable formation and personnel grouping that you could imagine that they had available to them. And misdirections, like you, there was nothing predictable about their offense at all in that game. And when they got, even when they got in the goal line, they got in situations where they really needed to convert a first down. You could not, you could not anticipate what they were going to do in an attempt to try to do that. And that's just a fresh offensive coordinator who's been on the job for six weeks or whatever, who you know hasn't been pigeonholed yet and hasn't even pigeonholed himself. Uh, and that you know, it's not. I don't know that I would say that Buffalo has more talent than the Steelers do in offense. I think it's just that they are, you know, more motivated to to do something creative rather than just try to go with the basics and ham and egg it with knowing that your talent will eventually win out on offense. Like that's that to me is not a, that's a cop out as a coordinator. And I know you know got to get off this train, but that was going to be my point about Buffalo is that you know at least you got to try some stuff. You know, so I, I sure hope that against Dallas, there's there's no holding back. There's no, you know, it's pulling out all the stops time. 
I, I don't see any reason to play a close to the vest against them. But, you know, I'm not their head coach or their offensive coordinator. Um, let's, before I have an aneurysm from, from this particular subject, which has gotten me very upset over the last hour, let's, um, let's go on to our illustrious pick segment brought to you by Walt Coleman, I know is going to be on there. Definitely Walt Coleman. Chico's Bail Bonds. Dan Carpenter's wife, who threatened to cut off Richard Sherman's balls and then castrate him. I was like, I thought it was the same fucking thing, honey, but evidently you country folks know something I don't know. And uh, lastly, um, we'll go with Dick Haley for fucking his jism giving birth to goddamn Todd Haley. You know, I'm really disappointed because I had I was holding on to Dan Carpenter's wife, <laughs> thinking that I was going to add it into whatever list you gave me, and instead, you know, you were right on one, top of it. I was like, "Holy shit, she ain't playing games!" And she actually has a video, like I guess I guess it's from like Vine, where she's like breathing fire. I'm like, "Holy hell!" Okay, honey, if she had a gun, she would have shot him. There's no doubts in my mind. She wouldn't be going to get a keep to leave mom. It was like Dan Carpenter's wife. Imagine, imagine the Twitter shit storm if if it had been a keep to leave that did that instead of Richard. Oh my Sherman. god! Exactly. Can just imagine the shit storm if Richard Sherman didn't do that to a kicker. Can you imagine if that's? How about this? We'll say it's T-Mobile. We'll say it's Tyrod Taylor from Buffalo that goes down like that. Tell me that fucking you know Richie Incognito. Or Cordy Glenning coming off the sidelines. Let me put it this way. As soon as that happened to me, I was thinking, I was like, oh, who's coming from the sidelines? Because I thought you were going to have a Monday night football 45 on 45, meaning bench clearing brawl. Because I couldn't believe it whenever I seen it. I was shocked. I was like, all right, he's going to pull up. Oh, he's going to pull up. He went right, right for the plant leg. Man. And I was, he, he says he went for the ball. Mm-mm. And then he says, well, oh, he shouldn't have kicked it. He shouldn't have tried to kick it. Yeah, he fuck? did actually. Okay, in fairness, he did actually grab the football first. That is what he did. But, you know, still, at that point, it should have been pretty obvious that, you know, that the, the play was dead. Pull the cord. Let me yeah, put it this exactly. way. Do you remember what happened when, like, uh, they, like, taunted Roy Jarrell a little bit? Like Jack Lambert on oh, with Harris? <laughs> yeah. Just imagine 70s football. <laughs> you, you talk oh, to yeah. a kicker, and we're, we want to fight you. <laughs> he'd have been looking out his ear hole, you know. So um, I think that's where the expression ear hole comes from, isn't it? That you, right. you, get, you get hit so hard, so hard that your helmet is spun around and you're looking out your ear hole. I think that's – I don't like Ray Lewis very much, but Ray Lewis said it best. He's like, you know what? It happened to a kicker, but that's our kicker. And I was like, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yep. All right. Well, uh, we haven't we haven't we haven't picked any games recently. I don't know if there's been really anything that could... with the um, oh, it's a good it's a good football week. Yeah, uh, Carolina at Carolina against Kansas City is Carolina of the last couple of weeks where they've uh, seemed to have rebounded a little uh, from their you know getting knocked down and knocked out. Uh, Kansas City, you know, is the team that we think is better. Then they looked against the Steelers. What do you figure in Carolina, Kansas City? Justin Houston's back. Um, Carolina's offensive line is getting healthier. And, you know, um, it's, a, it's a tough game. I'm going to go with the home team, but I shouldn't because we all know what happens with that NFC South. It's the most screwed up division in football. <laughs> 
Uh, I don't know what to make of that game. I think that's a tough pick. That would be like a game I would stay away from. I, I'm inclined to say Carolina at home, uh, given three to Kansas City. I'm inclined to say Carolina, but, but you know, Kansas City is another one of those teams, a little hard to figure out. Um, at New Orleans, Saints are favored by three over Denver. Not the same. It's not the same uh, Denver defense without Malik Jackson. Everyone's big fear in that game is going to be what's you know uh, you know what's Drew is Drew Brees going to be able to throw the ball? Talib most likely will be back. Chris Harris is a stud. Briley Roby's a good player. T.J. Ward's a good player. But Denver fans should be asking themselves, what's Mark Ingram and the Hightower going to do against our barely ranked? I think they're 25th in rush defense. Um. I'm going to go out on a limb, decide to be a little bit of a wild and crazy guy. I'm going to take the Saints at home to cover. Yeah, I think I'm inclined to say that, too, not just wishful thinking. I'm thinking that, that they, they might be able to put some points up on Denver. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Michael Thomas is a stud. You know, Brandon Cooks can really run. And uh, I mean, they, had, they had Oakland beat in that game a couple times over. And just sure. couldn't seal the deal against them. So it's not like it's not like they're not capable of beating a pretty good team. And Denver, I don't know if Denver's capable of putting up the points that Oakland is. Yeah, I'm not very impressed with Trevor Simeon. No, I mean, you know, he is what he is. He's like a, sure. a you know, a, I, I, I think he's better than Brock Osweiler, but that doesn't mean. Oh, I do too. You know, but I never really okay. thought much of Brock Osweiler. Yeah, that's that's kind of was my argument. Last he, he found he 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 seems like a great seventh round draft pick find. Let me say that I would love to yeah. have him as my backup. Yeah, exactly. He's a he's an ideal backup who can play a little bit, but he's going to be exposed over the long haul, you know, because he doesn't he doesn't have quite all the you know he doesn't have the sort of magic to his game. He's more of a methodical player, um, but that's all right. Uh, like you said, for a seventh round draft pick, pretty good. Um, Atlanta giving two at Philadelphia. This smell. This to me, I'll go first. This smells to me of one of those home dog that you're all over. I, I'm I'm all over Philadelphia in this game. Atlanta has been terrific, but uh, not against Philadelphia's defense in Philly. That's exactly right. How about this? I agree with you. And I'm actually I, I'm a big fan of, uh, of of Philadelphia's defense. I'm not a big fan of Atlanta Falcons offensive line. And I think the Eagles, you know, defensive line and front overall, their front seven is one of the better, uh, better in the NFL. And uh, I think the Eagles are have lost to our last three. Um, this is a really, really big game for them uh, because uh, if they lose, regardless what happens in the Cowboys, you know, uh, Steelers game, you might be talking about a wild card. In you know, the, is being the best play, best way you can finish. So I, I definitely think you're going to get everything out of the Eagles, and I think Darren Sproles, any fantasy players, Darren Sproles might be the way to go this week. <laughs> yeah. All right, I can buy that. Uh, two more. At New England, the Patriots are a seven-and-a-half-point favorite over Seattle. Uh, I'm going to call bullshit on this one, too. That yeah. That's a ridiculous line against Seattle. Do they know something I don't know? Yeah, um, Seattle's defense is really not the – what they once were, um, and uh, how can I put this nicely? Um, Tom Brady really does a good job of shutting people up, and Richard Sherman got a big mouth. 
So they're expecting. I think that the, the Patriots will win. I don't think they'll cover seven and a half points. Yeah, that seems crazy to me. It's their defense that's the problem in New England. Their right. offense. Oh, Michael, Michael Bennett being out. Seattle is an absolutely completely different defense. Not even in the same ballpark of being the same. Defense. Yeah, I won't. I won't argue that. Um, but Cliff Averill is still. They have New England has no way of stopping Cliff Averill in this game. Right. So, He's a yeah, very good player. But Cliff but, but Averill Seattle, with Michael Bennett offense, rushing yeah. from the inside beside him. Oh, oh yeah, then they're deadly. Then yeah, but but Seattle uh, Seattle on offense, I think, can put up some points in New England. Who's going to play running back? Because Procise actually out touched um, um, uh, Mike. Chris and Michael like two to yeah. one in that game. So yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like it's uh, seven and a half is too big a line for that. Maybe yeah. Seattle won't be able to put up points on the road, uh, but at least it's not a 1 p.m. game. You know, it's Sunday night. Um, and speaking of not a 1 p.m. game, at the New York Giants, Giants and Cincinnati, uh, I love when the odds makers do this. They're just like, who the fuck knows? It's a pick them between the Giants and Cincinnati. If you could, they're, they're like, if you can figure out either one of these teams, you let us know <laughs> with your money. Uh, who do you like, Giants and Cincinnati? The Giants have actually been a, or a surprisingly – I'll put it this way. We'll start with this. Can you name me the only player in the NFL that leads this team in sacks, tackles, and interceptions? Uh, sacks, tackles, and interceptions. Um, I guess it's a, a player involved in this game, but uh, go yeah. ahead. Let me know. Landon Collins from the New York Giants, who have a top 10 pass defense in the NFL, which a lot of other people might find shocking. Um, The Giants actually play good defense. I I understand they're, like, holding it together with, like, duct tape, fishing line, and bong resin, but they play good team defense. I like the Giants, despite Eli Manning, despite Victor Cruz being injured, um, Shepard and uh, Odell Beckham Jr., um, they get good play out of Will Ty, a tight end who out of they just keep on trying to kill and get rid of. And I think they'll be able to put enough of a, a running game together to keep Cincinnati honest. I think the Giants win. I think they actually win by more than a touchdown. The Giants' well, defense is far better than people expect. Yeah, the uh, I mean Andy Dalton. It, it is a it is a night game, like a nationally televised night game. So let's let us not forget that that Andy Dalton uh, has a horrendous career record in those kinds of games. Um, I, you know, I don't know if it's just he he prefers to play when the other team is a little bit flat. I don't I don't know. Like, I'm not really sure what the reasoning for that is. But in late games, uh, you know, let's put it this way: overall in his career, um, he is uh, fifty three thirty and two. That's his winning record as a quarterback, right? Fifty three thirty and two. Um, at at night, he is five and nine with a uh, the passer rating of seventy eight point one. So, if for some reason he's not that same invincible quarterback at night, uh, and I think that trend continues this week. I don't see him going to New York and beating them. By the way, uh, the good news or the bad news is I didn't really like Landon Collins coming out. Thought he was too slow. To, uh, to be effective in the NFL. He was going to be purely a downhill guy, which was going to kill him in the NFL. He's been way better than I thought he would be. Uh, I also liked Will Ty 
who's also better than most people thought, even his own mm-hmm. coaches think he is. He still seems to be able to play. So uh, I like that kid. Anyway, uh, so that's the good and bad of it. That's our pick segment. Uh, before we get away from the pick segment, it's also your chance for a second. Uh, any, would you like to make any comments about the Penguins? Or are you are you being uh, incognito right now? Wow, very proud of them. I mean, um, just so well coached. And they're a little bit opposite of the Steelers in, in some ways. I mean, they have the stars, and I'm not looking to pick on the Steelers and pump up the Penguins. But a lot of the Penguins' success comes from, you know, third and fourth and fifth-round draft picks. And that's the way I like I like to watch the kids grow up in the organization that have success when they come up. So I'm probably as proud of this Penguins team as I've ever been of any sports team I've followed, just because they're like homegrown for the most part. And the guys that aren't homegrown are a lot of people that people didn't want, like Carl Haglin. You know, he was just, they didn't want him. And Justin Schultz and Edmonton, they didn't want him. You know, yep. Patrick Hornquist, Nashville was happy to get rid of. They thought they killed, raped us getting James Neal. And James Neal was a hell of a player, and I'm not saying otherwise. But, and then you have, like, the Brian Russ and the Connor Shearies. There's this unheralded, you know, too small, too slow. They look like they should be, you know, taking my coffee order or being my banker. And they're just, like, good. And Brian Dumoulin, I'm just, I'm thrilled with the Penguins. I'm thrilled to see that Mark, you know, Andre Fleury's come back from the concussion problems and having, you know, success. And Matt Murray, our other goalie, looks phenomenal. Penguins are, are – just they built themselves a little machine, and um, I hope they sent Ray Shiro, our former general manager, a Stanley Cup ring because you get to have a few extra ones which you can send out. I guess that's up to the team. If I was Mary, I would have sent one to Ray Shiro and just told him, you know, you probably ain't going to want this now, but in 10 or 15 years – when yeah, you might be, be out of hockey, you know, you earned this, bud. This is wouldn't happen without you. Well, I and I think as good as they're playing right now, and as good as they're presently constructed, to me, the one of the best things about it is people don't even talk about. It. They're kind of loaded in the in the uh, you know their young players, the ones that are mm-hmm. down in Wilkes-Barre and whatever. Mm-hmm. They have they have two two good goaltenders down there. They have some players that people are seriously talking about. How are we going to fit them into this you know this team? Like we have. You know they're too they're too good. They can't stay down. So that's a great conversation to be having. It gives you a lot of flexibility in what you can do, and that allows you, I think, to move parts. You know where you can you can say you can trade a guy who's a decent player in favor of a guy who is a better fit, and not worry about well if the trade doesn't work out, what am I going to do? Well, what you're going to do if the trade doesn't work out is you bring a young player up. Um, so anyway, I'm, I'm thinking in this particular example about Olimata who might be a guy that you, you can, you know, has some value to him, but you might be able to trade him out for a guy who's a better fit uh, for the team speed wise and not feel like you're giving, you know, you're, you're putting your backing yourself into a corner or whatever, because you have some young options, but you know, that kind of thing. Right. You, anyway, you could be only is the type of guy. And I, I'm actually a fan of his. Um, I think that as he, He's still young. He's like 21 or 22 years old. As he grows a little bit more into that body and his shoulder completely gets 100% healthy and he gets his man strength, I think he's going to be a very solid NFL defenseman, probably a second or third defenseman for a team. I have a feeling that they're going to end up having to package Flurry probably before the expansion draft. So I think that they might get a gargantuan return, you know, or, you know, uh, 
whenever we move Flurry, and it's going to probably happen, it's, they're not going to move Murray. I love Flurry. He's my guy. He won two cups here. He was a part of winning two cups here. You know, played in three Stanley Cups. Um, that's going to be probably nine million dollars they're moving out under the cap, and they don't got a lot of future spending to do. They got a lot of their guys signed. Kessel signed long term. You know, Crosby, Malkin, all those guys are signed long term. So they're going to be able to bring in, you know, maybe a piece or two. The funny thing with the Penguins is I don't know where they're going to fit that piece in. Maybe a defenseman, another defenseman. Maybe you can get a, a Jacob or a Truba off of Winnipeg who had problems. It's, it's a guy I'm a fan of. Or, you know, maybe a guy that's underperforming that's slightly overpaid somewhere that we'd want to bring in. It's The yeah. Penguins are in a very, very good spot. And the best thing about the Penguins – Mario says, no, I know sell no more. We keep. So I like that Mario <laughs> is going to continue being the owner. Yeah, that's but definitely. That's nobody resuscitated a franchise more than Mario Lemieux resuscitated the Pittsburgh Penguins. No no kidding, yeah. Okay, uh, listen, uh, that's enough for our illustrious pick segment and uh, Penguins <laughs> hockey Bye. talk. Um, let's uh, put your money where your mouth 22 and I'm going to tell you why, jerky. Um, the sewers Listen, Jerky, I come down there and straighten shit out. I love it, Jerky. So do I. Um, sewers are going to give up a lot of drives. I think they're going to give up probably a total of six scoring drives this week. It's just I feel that five of the scoring drives are going to be field goals, and I feel one's going to be a touchdown. I feel the sewers are going to win 24-22, and I'm going to tell you now why. Um, the sewers are going to bend, not break on defense. You're going to see third and three, third and two get converted. It's going to be Elliott at times. It's going to be Jason Witten with a four-yard catch. It's going to be Dak Prescott making plays. But once you get in the red zone, everything gets compressed. And uh, the reads aren't as easy. Des Bryant is struggling to beat coverage. And I really don't believe you're going to jam the ball down the Sears' throat consistently in a confined space. I think the Sears' defense is too proud. I've seen a lot, a lot that I like from – Justin Hargraves and Stephen Tuitt and Cameron Hayward and Ryan Shazier. I think this is a still a proud defense. It's a defense that, you know, whenever they walk in, they, you know, they, they see those trophies and they know about Joe Green and Jack Lambert and all the great defenders that came before them. So the defense is going to more than hold up their end of the bargain. Um, considering what Dallas does and considering how putrid our offense has been, you know, them giving up 22 points sounds like a lot. But, you know, you've you got to be able to put up at least 24 to win in today's NFL. And I think that's what the series are going to do. You're going to get three scoring drives. Le'Veon Bell is going to bust a run this week. I think he's, you know, that's where you're going to get the one touchdown. Antonio Brown's going to make a play. Then Ben Roethlisberger is going to get you the other 10 points just being Ben Roethlisberger. I have no idea how they're going to come. Might be a Ben run. You know, the, the, it, I think that Ben talks one thing. And once he puts on the helmet and the shoulder pads, he does another. Meaning, yeah, we're going to be safe and we've got to get rid of the ball. That's not Ben at his core. As soon as that helmet and shoulder pads go on, Ben's the ultimate competitor. He's as competitive as Terry Bradshaw, Tom Brady, Steve Young, Randall Cunningham, whatever fucking quarterback you want to say. I love the guy. I'll roll with him. Anybody that badmouths him, you should be stuck with Mark Malone for the rest of your fucking lives. I'll take the Sears 24-22 in Pittsburgh. Uh uh, I said it last week on the show. If they come out of this game reasonably healthy uh, against against Baltimore, no matter what happens, I expect them to kick the ever living shit out of Dallas. That's what I think is going to happen. I have it thirty four sixteen. To me, 
to me, it's uh, Steelers at home are going to put up 30. I don't care if Sammy Coates has a broken finger. I don't care if Marcus Wheaton can't lift one of his arms. Uh, I don't care if Mar- Marquise Pouncey can grip the football to send it back. Oh, he's starting. Sorry, I just got I, that he, alert. No, I, I understand. It yeah, I understand. I'm just saying I, I don't care if Ladarius Green – I do care secretly. But, I mean, even if, even if they don't uh, have him at least in for a few plays, package him a little bit in this game, uh, that – uh, the Steelers are going to – they they are capable of stopping the run against anybody or at least slowing it down enough to force teams into doing stuff they don't really want to do. And I don't think our, our secondary is a big pushover like it once was. I feel like if you if you play solid run defense and you don't let guys, you know, stiff arm you and go for 50 yards or 95 yards, <laughs> that the defense is pretty good. So, you know, from that standpoint – I think the defenses of these two teams are pretty equivalent. I think the offenses are fairly equivalent, but at home, the Steelers' offense is a little bit better. And I think this might be one of those games where they get out early and, um, you know, put the hammer down. Just because, if for no other reason, that they didn't do that last week and they paid the price for it. Um, I, I, do, I just doubt seriously they're going to come out in this game and be super conservative. And that seems to be the only thing that really – trips them up is they don't, you know, when they don't get their offense in a rhythm and they don't have some success early, things kind of snowball for them. I expect this to be a Steelers victory that makes you, you know, just shrug and throw your hands up in the air. Like where the fuck was this last week? You know, that that's the kind of game I expect. That's a Steelers victory and probably a big one in this game. Um, Give me a final thought, sir. When the Steelers are quiet going into a game, being quiet where you don't got much to say. Generally, they come out and play just possessed, balls out. I've noticed this week things have been kind of quiet outside. Marquis Fonsi said, I'm playing this week. And that's basically where it ended. And he, like, walked away. And Ben, even, like, I like went and found a link for his talk show. Pretty much threw B.J. Finney under the bus, didn't like that too much, but it's better than throwing other people under the bus because he knew Pouncey was going to start, and he didn't have too much to say. Chances, from a person with a big mouth who has drives people to the point of wanting to punch him in the face, whenever you got someone quiet and just focused, you better be ready for a fight, and I don't know if Dallas necessarily sees what's coming for them. This is not like Baltimore last week. This is the Steelers at home, and this is against a team that this fan base as a whole, it's still a hated team. It's you know it's still the team that's chasing us for titles, and it's still the team that's the closest. And this is the team that's supposed to be the best in the NFL. Don't worry about New England. It's supposed to be the best team in the NFL, so I guess we'll see. Yeah, we will see. Hey, I couldn't have said it better myself. Um, I'm, you know, my message is to the people out there who get so upset that they have to turn the games off. Hey man, this would be a football fan and a Steelers fan is all about. You, you can't appreciate the highs without appreciating the lows. And sometimes it gives you a better understanding whether to have hope or be angry. You know, I'm not asking you to sit there and suffer when things are bad, but on the other hand, you know, you can't give up on them. They, that game last week, for three quarters was as hideous a performance as you will ever see uh, a football team have, and particularly the Steelers. And you know what? Sammy Coates catches a football that's perfectly placed in his hands. The Steelers probably tie that game. 
It's like, you know, even as bad as it was, you know, to give up on that game when it was 21, nothing is a mistake. Uh, and I'm, I'm only, I'm only just saying for your own peace of mind, that you're going to come back in one of those games and win it. And you're going to be upset that you, uh, that you gave it up because as a fan, you only have so many of those moments. There's only so many victories left for your team while you're alive. There's only so many games left for your team while you're alive. So enjoy it on that morbid note, FC. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for <laughs> thanks doing to, it. Uh, Steel Fury and all the folks at uh, SteelerFury.com. Let's have a Steelers victory to talk about next week. What do you say? Sounds like a plan with me, sir. Go Steelers. <laughs> With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.